This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Tonight I have a treat for you, my good friend Ronnie Russell, who pastored Mission Church in the western part of the county for many years, over three decades, faithfully retired and moved into uh, Live Again Ministries, which many of you know we have a heart for Honduras. Live Again works in Roatan and Honduras and has done medical missions and working with those who are the least of these, not just there, but then moved back here. And he's done that in his young age since retirement. I love Ronnie. Ronnie serves, if you didn't know, we have a board of five pastors from across the country who serve on a board that advises me. And He's on that board. He is um, an invaluable resource. I, I just want to say that. It's unusual today to find anybody that finishes, much less to find somebody who finished well. And Ronnie is showing us, those of us who are younger, how to finish well. Um, I love him. And this is a treat for us. And so would you give it up for my friend, Ronnie Russell? Help me up the step. Thank you, Kevin. It's good to be here again. I've come about once a year, and I think the last time I did any teaching or preaching to a group like this was the last time I was here. <laughs> so I hope this is like riding a bicycle. Once you learn, you know, you don't forget. Well, we'll find out, okay? <laughs> I also want to thank you, Vortex Church, for supporting Live Again Ministries and some of our projects. Just very quickly, we do mainly three things. We do a, an after-school program called Tribe, and it's getting ready to start about October the 18th. And we have a new director this year. We have some great volunteers, including Shelly. <laughs> and another thing we do is uh, some homeless ministry. We went just yesterday to... Uh, now we start. We were doing something off Tavola Road, but now we're doing it on Albemarle Road, coming this way, where the uh, Walmart and all those stores are, Chick Fil A. So the third thing we do, as Kevin noted, is is uh, mission trips to Honduras, namely Roatan, Honduras. Anybody ever been to Roatan, Honduras? <laughs> well, besides you, Shelly. <laughs> I've I run into a lot of people, well, a good number of people, who um, have been there on a cruise. It's, it's, a, it's a favorite stop for cruise ships. I've got too many books up here and stuff. <laughs> Get rid of this right here. Okay. So... Our passage tonight is 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And 
it's on the screen, right? Yep. So let's, let's dive into it and see what the Word of God says to us. I am writing this to you, my children, so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have someone who pleads with the Father on our behalf, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And Christ himself is the means by which our sins are forgiven, and not our sins only, but also the sins of everyone. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey his commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. This is, that is how we know we're living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Now, we can't just gloss over that. We'll come back to it later, but that's a powerful statement there at the end. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Do you try to live like Jesus? Not real easy, is it? And we do a lot of things in ministry to the least of these, as Kevin noted, and to those who are, whom God seeks out and that Jesus sought out when he was here. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about John. Who is this John? He, is, um, one of the, he was one of the disciples, one of the 12 original. You've heard Peter, James, and John. They were like an inner circle of the 12. And he was the author of the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation. He also wrote three letters. And what we just read was the first of those letters. There's 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And they're kind of obscure. We don't just automatically turn there, do we? We, uh, we? we go there when we have a reference to look up a particular passage. So he was also a prisoner when he wrote this. He had been banished from, uh, from the area to a, an island, a little island called Patmos. Anybody ever been to Patmos? It's in the, one of the Greek isles. Y'all don't get out much, do you? <laughs> so, he was guilty of what? Preaching the gospel, nothing else, just preaching the gospel. And that was not uncommon during that time that John lived. Patmos has been called, and this is a, a good thing, uh, quite a clever thing, it has been called the beginning of the end of the world. Do you know why? Because a lot of people believe that the book of Revelation talks about the end of the world, and that's where it was written. And so it's the beginning of the end of the world in that sense. There's a, a monastery there on the island. It was called St. John, oddly enough. And it's been there since 1088 A.D. That's a long time. And it's lasted all this, all this time. Patmos is also called the Sacred Island because of John and his ministry there. We think that John was probably in his 90s when he wrote this book. And 
he doesn't tell us his age. He doesn't even identify himself in the gospel of John. He just calls himself the beloved disciple or the one whom Jesus loved. In writing this letter of 1 John, John considered the believers who would read the letter as my children. That's the way he addresses the listeners. I am writing this to you, my children. Years ago at Mission, we, had, we would have a, a music camp every summer. And our twin leaders, Collis and Connie, would do this thing. And it was wonderful. They would practice all week. And on Friday night, I think Friday night, they would, don't remember that far back, but they would uh, do this. The kids would perform it. And the first one they did that I remember was called God's Kids. And I think this is the one that has a little song about a dog named Germs. Germs, Germs, my little shaggy dog. And so that's about the only thing I remember about God's Kids because we got a, a, a dog sometime later. It was a, it was a stray that somebody that had come up at somebody's house and we were looking for a dog, and this lady named Reba knew that we were, and so she asked if we wanted this dog. I went down to their house, and this dog was, we couldn't even see his eyes. I could tell he was at least mixed with poodle, so it was curly hair all around him, all over him. And we would take him to get groomed ever so often, like once or twice a year. <laughs> and, and it was really funny because the guy would come out, not, not the manager or the owner, but the guy would stand at the door when he saw me coming, and he would talk to the manager who was behind him and out of sight. And she must have asked, what does he look like today? And he said, I can't tell. He's got him wrapped up in a blanket. <laughs> and when, uh, when those pretty little poodles would come in and germs was there, the, the owner of, of those uh, pretty little dogs would pick their dog up and hold them tight. <laughs> they were afraid they were going to get contaminated with something. But that was, our, that was our dog named Germs in a musical called God's Kids. So, what, do we know, what else do we know about this beloved disciple as he described himself? James was executed by Herod, James' brother. He was one of the th uh, sons of thunder. Do you, ever, you remember that phrase? The sons of thunder. We really don't know why. It doesn't explain. But we can only guess that maybe they were, had uh, high, high tempers and, and that kind of thing. He was a fisherman along with James and Peter. And Jesus called him to be a disciple, as he did with the other 11. And he's also the only one who wrote one of the Gospels, the only disciple, the original 12 who wrote a Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew was not a, um, a disciple as such, not one of the original 12. He was a, anybody knew, know what his profession was, Matthew? He was a tax collector, the lowest form of life, according to the Jews, on the whole planet. They were usually very dishonest, and they gained a reputation for being that way. And he 
as I said earlier, his name is not actually spoken in the gospel. He probably died of old age. And if he did, that was the only one of the 12 who lived that long. And we know that the others were all martyred in, in one way or another. We don't have a biblical account of it or a written account, but it was just tradition has been passed down that, that they were scattered all over the world, all over the earth. And they were quite, quite the thing. And John was uh, one among the many disciples who were persecuted for their faith. As I said earlier, he was arrested for only preaching the gospel. And so he says, I am writing this to you, my children, so that you will not sin, so that you will not sin. That's what we wish for our children, isn't it? That they don't get into a lot of trouble, big time trouble, at least we, we hope that much for them. And so John is saying that don't worry, don't worry, because your sins are forgiven, and not our sins only, but also the sins of everyone. However, sin does not have the last word with John, nor does it have the last word with us. We'll give you several little bullet points about that. No sin is unforgivable. We have someone who pleads with the Heavenly Father, and that name is Jesus. What does he plead for us? Jesus doesn't whitewash our sins. He doesn't minimize them. He doesn't take them lightly. And he doesn't ignore them, but he forgives them. He makes it possible for us to go on with eternal life. Let's use a courtroom story to illustrate what Jesus did for us. Let's say I'm on trial uh, for a lot of things, including murder, and the jury has come back, and I am guilty. I'm as guilty as I can be, and so the judge pronounces the sentence, which is execution. And, of course, I'm devastated as, as the uh, defendant, but then the door opens at the back of the courtroom, and a man comes walking in toward the front and speaks to the judge, and he says, I want to take his place. The judge was dumbfounded by such a request, and, but he eventually gave in and allowed him to take my place. And that's what Jesus does for us, isn't it? He allows us to have freedom, but then he also directs us to the good way of life. I want to read them. I have a little book that somebody gave me called The Valley of Vision. Anybody ever heard of it? It's uh, written by the Puritans. Some, I mean, it's a collection of prayers written by the Puritans. And this, is called, this little chapter, two pages, is called Need of Jesus. And this is a prayer. Lord Jesus, I am blind. Be my light. Ignorant, be my wisdom. Self-willed, be my mind. Open my ear to grasp quickly the Spirit's voice and delightfully run after His beckoning hand. Melt in my conscience that no hardness remain. Make it alive to evil's slightest touch. When Satan approaches, may I flee to your wounds. 
and there cease to tremble at all alarms. Be my good shepherd to lead me into the green pastures of your word and cause me to lie down beside the rivers of its comfort. Fill me with peace that no disquieting worldly gales may ruffle the calm surface of my soul. The cross, your cross, was upraised to be my refuge. Your blood streamed forth to wash me clean. Your death occurred to give me a surety. Your name is my property to save me. Be all heaven, or would you be all heaven, poured into my heart. But it is too narrow to comprehend your love. I was a stranger, an outcast, a slave, a rebel, but your cross has brought me near, has softened my heart, has made me your father's child, has admitted me to your family, has made me joint heir with yourself, that I may love you as you love me, that I may walk worthy of you, O God, that I may reflect the image of heaven's firstborn. Never heard Jesus referred to God's firstborn. Have you? Y'all don't get out much, that's right. (laughs) Um, May I always see your beauty with the clear eye of faith and feel the power of your Holy Spirit in my heart. For unless he moves mightily in me, no inward fire will be kindled. Isn't that beautiful? And as we read that, Well, as I was reading it, it was written by the Puritans, and there were a lot of these and thous, and I had to pause every now and then to turn or change those to you if it sounded like I was stumbling through this thing. So, everyone, well, let me read verse 2 again. Let's revisit that. And Christ himself is the means by which our sins are forgiven, and not our sins only, but also the sins of every one. The sins of everyone. There is often a discussion and sometimes a debate between limited atonement and unlimited atonement. I prefer the unlimited atonement. But here's here's what he's saying, that everyone forgive not only our sins, but the sins of everyone. Not a chosen few, not a certain number, not a fraction of our number or a percentage not a majority or minority, everyone, everyone comes under the the ministry of Jesus in that way. So, where else do we find evidence of this? John 3.16, for God so loved the world, not just a portion of the world, but all the world. To me, that gives us all hope, gives every human being hope that we can all be counted in that number. In verses 4 through 6 again, if someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we're living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. And that's a very powerful ending to that little passage. So what did Jesus do? Jesus made it possible, as we read in verse 2. He is the means by which our sins are forgiven. 
there's a, a little video that we're going to look at in just a moment. And then we'll talk about it. So you ready to share that video? This is not the only video with that theme on, uh, on YouTube. But what they're doing, it's a, it's a social experiment. They're in a mall with a soccer ball, obviously. And they will, as people approach them, and there's more than just that one guy, as people approach them, they just kind of kick the ball gently toward them. And it's amazing to watch how some people will just tap it back very gently and others will step over it, actually step over it. <laughs> and others will just ignore it and go on their way. So, God offers us a life that is free of guilt and shame. And so the ones, and people analyze these kinds of things that do this kind of social experiment. And so they're seeing how people respond and it, it occurred to me, as I'm sure it occurred to somebody else, that that's God's invitation to us. He just kind of kicks the ball toward us, and many people ignore it. Many people step around it or step over it, and some will just kick it back. And that's what God, I think, expects of us, that we do not ignore Him. We did not, do not ignore what He's provided for us. So God offers us this life of guilt and sh free of guilt and shame. He's inviting us who live in darkness. And there's a lot of spoken in the Bible about darkness, especially in the New Testament. And we're called out of the darkness, the darkness of our own doing, the darkness of our sin, the darkness of everything we've ever done that is wrong. And that is a darkness that Jesus helps us to get out from. Now, I want to share the difference between guilt and shame. You may have heard this. Shame is, or well, guilt rather, is I have done something wrong. Shame is I not only have done things wrong, I am wrong. And that's much harder to overcome than guilt. But we do have an advocate. Jesus has paid the price so that we can understand that God is not angry at us anymore. Isn't that good to know? I read that line somewhere, that God is not angry with us anymore. Because we live with this shame and we think that God has abandoned us, that He is, that he is no longer, He no longer loves us or cares about us. But what Jesus did was teach us that He is our advocate. Jesus has paid the price so that we can understand that God is not angry at us anymore. I have a friend who has a daughter who has a master's degree in social work. And she has had two or three jobs in that profession. She works with kids going through some kind of trauma in their home or in their lives, not just their home. At one time, she practiced, this young lady did, she practiced a foster care, in a foster care setting. 
Now, what happens when someone goes through trauma? It's very devastating, isn't it? It can be. Think of the girl who was kidnapped just last week. Thank God she was found alive. But somebody had abducted her. Not a very nice looking man. Have you seen his photograph? Um, think of victims of sexual assault as a child and how they feel so often they feel shame not just guilt because they didn't do necessarily anything wrong but they felt the shame of having this having happened to them and so that's a that's a good example of shame another friend of mine and his wife are counselors his name is Tim and Excuse me. Tim shared with me recently that he does a lot of counseling of children. He is certified to counsel with, you know, all ages, but he focuses on children because there's such a need for it. A lot of children who have grown up in terrible situations, terrible home lives, need the counseling of a good Christian pastor. And he does play therapy with them. You ever heard of play therapy? He, yeah, and he plays with them with you know, games and toys. And he went on to say this, which really stunned me. He said, doing that play therapy with children is the most Jesus-like thing I have ever done. I wish I'd asked him why <laughs> he felt that way. But it has to do with children, the fact that Jesus said, let the children come to me. Play therapy to help those children who have been harmed with, and they suffer from what we call PTSD, don't they? So think of the hundreds of children that have survived a mass shooting in our country or anywhere in the world. Those children are likely scarred for life with this kind of PTSD. So when someone has experienced trauma in childhood, they interpret everything that happens through that trauma lens. And it goes on, can go on well into adulthood without help. My friend told me about an eight-year-old boy. As a foster child, he had not learned to trust the foster parents. And sometimes our sin creates a trauma in somebody else. It may not happen instantly, but over time we are transformed from darkness into light. And Jesus leads us from that darkness into light. So his importance cannot be underestimated in not only our salvation, but in our daily lives. He makes a difference, doesn't he? And so we move deeper into darkness without help. And we begin to, our children especially, begin to blame themselves or something that somebody else has done to them. So Jesus is calling all of us, you and me, out of this trauma of darkness. This is where Jesus comes in and helps us get the past, uh, to get past the trauma of sin. It may not happen instantly, but over time it does. And we are transformed by his continuing presence in our lives. Again, it may not be 180 degrees instantly, but over time, and this is why we have to, a disciple never becomes or never comes to the end of their test. 
a disciple is for a lifetime. And then John says, he, well, first of all, he's not writing to people outside the faith, but he's writing to believers. My children, he calls them. As believers, we can slip into this darkness, can't we? But we have an outlet. His name is Jesus. And that's what we preach and teach, isn't it? He was not writing a new commandment. It's the old commandment that's been around a long time. And that commandment is to love one another. To love one another. That simple. Nothing more, nothing less. To love one another. You remember Jesus said the two greatest commandments were love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourselves. And that's Jesus' command to us. He says in verses 7 and 8, we'll jump down there, I am not writing a new commandment for you, rather it is an old one you have had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before, yet it is also new. The messages that we read from the Bible, the words of Jesus, or the other profound truths in the Bible are nothing new for us. But Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it. Love one another. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is shining. Our after-school program called Tribe which literally, what the, uh, what's the, what is it when we make up a word? What? Acronym. That, I don't know why that left my mind. So the acronym is Teaching Relationships in Behavior and Education. This has been going on 10, 12 years, and we're getting ready to start another year. And in this program, we teach nine lessons. The curriculum has been written by a lady who is, was one of our board of director members a few years ago. And these nine attributes are humility, forgiveness, empathy, optimism, compassion, sympathy, patience, cooperation, and gratitude. But almost invariably, the middle schoolers is for grades seven through nine, and even older than that if, if they will come. And it's, it's true that almost all of them say that the toughest one of these attributes to deal with was forgiveness. As I have said, they have been traumatized by something that has happened in their life. And they're still being traumatized with something that continues to happen. But they have trouble forgiving those who have sinned against them, who have done things to them, but they also have trouble forgiving themselves. And so they have a lot of difficulty with that particular one. Almost without exception, they say that it's forgiveness. Ephesians 5 verses 8 and 9 say, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and true. What is good and true. Now these pages stick together sometimes, don't they? 
So John is inviting us. He's inviting us out of our darkness, sometimes of our own making, but also circumstances that others have provided for us, unfortunately. He calls us, invites us to come out of the darkness and free ourselves so that we can love one another. To obey Jesus' command to love one another means that we have to get rid of a lot of garbage in our lives because it's hard to love someone else when we don't love ourselves. And John is inviting us to come out of this darkness and to walk in his light. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we're so thankful for your word, which teaches us, teaches us to love one another, teaches us to take care of the least of these, teaches us to also cleanse our own, our own bodies or have them cleansed by the love of God through Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.